Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is Q&A number 35, and it is May, and this is what I had to say about May. May, a month I've always loved, not just because it's the month of my birth, but because it's the month when in the northern latitudes, at least, spring ceases its teasing. The changing of the seasons reminds us that life is profoundly cyclical. A sense of optimism has always infused my being as the snow melts away. The sky's gloomy grayness retreats, and the green leaves of the trees bud. Spring also urges us to seize the moment. As a glorious summer beckons, we're compelled to drink deeply of the sunny joys of life. As the chilly fingers of winter yet stroke the backs of our necks. What did you think of that, babe? Very poetic, John. Thank you. I do have a little bit of... I do have a poetic side to me. I don't reveal it. I don't reveal it often. So I am fortunate to be joined in this podcast by my beautiful wife. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm glad to be here with you. And by the way, I'm the poet in the family. That's right. You're, you're the writer. Yeah, you have quite good, you have quite good poetry. Mm-hmm. In English, in English, which is doubly impressive when you can do poetry in your second language and it not be awful. <laughs> oh, thank you, Joan. Yeah. So I'm the poet and you're the writer. So in this podcast, we are going to bring you some much needed optimism, right? Right. We're, 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 we're turning a new page it's May, as I said, we're going to try to infuse everyone's being with a bit more optimism. And we have got six good questions, which are going to be like on a wide spectrum of things, which is why I call this the Limitless Q&A podcast, as opposed to calling it the, the Biohacking Q&A podcast. But before we get into all that, We've got a few important things just to uh, for you to keep in mind. What you are going to hear here and find on my website, Limitless Mindset, is not medical advice. I am not a doctor. I'm just a friendly, knowledgeable internet dude who has got a lot of opinions. I'm a biohacker. I am a... Uh, self-appointed applied neuroscience strategist. So I'm a person that spends a lot of time reading science and uh, doing kind of the citizen science scientist thing. And then I practice free speech to the extent that I can in talking about my own extensive experiences, uh, in relating experiences of other people, and then my interpretations of published science. So 
You're Dr. Roslano. Dr. Roslano, that's right. That's right. Oh, once upon a time, there was a uh, a spammer, or I don't know, one of these unsolicited solicitation people contacted me via email, and it was some woman, and she said, Dear Dr. Roslano. So that was the one time I was accused of being a doctor, and I guess it kind of it kind of stuck. It's yeah. sort of our inside joke, but I am not, in fact, a doctor. I am nothing close. You should consult doctors uh, about any serious health decisions that you are making and ideally get a second opinion on it. And you'll want to also refer to an article that I link to, which is called How to Biohack Smart and Safe. That's kind of a good place to to begin diving in on this. And I might also add that I'll try to do as good a job as possible to provide some bespoke, uh, nuanced advice to the six people who asked us questions here today. However, this Q&A format is ultimately kind of an imperfect way of me helping you or me helping really anybody because whenever uh, I'm opining, really whenever anybody on the internet is, is opining on people's problems, we are dealing with incomplete information. There may be like some really important detail to what people might be struggling with and I, if, if we don't know about that, then we are perhaps ignoring what's actually the uh, black hole at the center of someone's personal uh, galaxy that's, that's sucking things in and making things suck, right? So that's why I offer a lean life coaching program. So I'm sure you have heard of life coaching by now. If you haven't, you must have literally been living under a rock for the, about the past 25 years. So my program is, like I said, lean. Bless you. Uh, it's lean. It is not a thing where we spend a ton of time talking with each other. It's not really expensive. It's a program where we do two telephone calls together and... We outline in the first telephone call, we do some exploration of what your challenges are, specifically in regards to the biohacking and the health stuff. And then we come up with a 90-day plan for you. And then I keep you accountable to that plan using a app called Coach.me. And I've experimented uh, for, I think, almost a decade now with all these different apps that do uh, motivation and habit tracking and all of that kind of stuff. And I found that this one really blows all the other ones out of the water as far as being an accountability tool. And then after the 90 days, we talk again and we see how everything went and then we adjust things if that's necessary. And yeah, it ends up being a lean thing because I don't want to spend all my time uh, dealing with coaching clients. And I don't, my clients are pretty busy kinds of people who don't want to spend uh, hours and hours and hours on a phone call or a Zoom call uh, talking through everything. And uh, yeah, we've actually had some, some pretty good um, transformations with if people are able to maintain some consistency, um, I'm impressed with the kind of breakthroughs that people are able to uh, make on that uh, with that lean life coaching program. So if that's something that 
resounds at all with you. I have got an excellent form. I have got, I dare say, of all the forms on the internet that you have filled out uh, in your life, this is going to be one of the best ones. This form is ask you all these questions about you and your challenges and what you've tried thus far and what's worked and what hasn't. And it gives me the information that I need to figure out if I might be able to help you. But I dare say that the form itself, just filling out the form, will like give you some insight into like what's going on with you and where you're going in life. So do check that out if you are interested. And then before we dive into question number one here, I should explain what is on my head. Because those of you looking at me in the video may be saying, what is that thing on his head? Pretty unattractive, right guys? My wife is not a fan of this of this thing. No. But I mean, my my natural attractiveness, it uh, just, uh, it shines beyond this weird <laughs> thing on my head, doesn't it? <laughs> Doesn't it, babe? I mean, you still find me sexy despite this weird thing on my head. I just have to picture it, to picture you without it. Yes, yes. Well, visualization, visualization is important. So this is, in fact, my PEMF device. So it uses uh, electromagnetism, and I was, I've experimented with this quite a bit at this point. And it was uh, blasting a, uh, a beta wave into the back of my brain, which is not going to turn me into a beta male, but it is a brain wave that promotes alertness. So it's going to make me uh, a bit more pepped up. I'm hoping that's the reason I had that attached to the back of my head. So, let's dive into question number one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so someone asked on Twitter in response to, since I did this interview, I've grown a bit less blackpilled on the future of mankind. The global acceleration of entropy that we've all experienced in this young new decade does not bode well for those that aim to enslave us all. What the main what is the main thing that's given you a more positive outlook yeah so that was the question this guy was asking me he was saying hey jonathan what's given you a more positive outlook on the future and yes i am now more white-pilled about the future i'm more optimistic about the future um in on a personal level, and then kind of on a grand societal, civilizational scale. So this guy was responding to or commenting on the interview that I did with JF Garriapé back in 2009 on the topic of transhumanism and the book that he wrote about the coming uh, phenotypic revolution. And listening back to that interview, I realized that I am more optimistic about the future than I was then. And given what's gone on over the past few years, most people are becoming less optimistic about the future. So I'm actually I'm bucking the trend on that one. And around and it's understandable. 
around the time that I read JF's book, I also read At Our Wits End, which was about the decline of intelligence and what that, the decline of intelligence across civilization and what that means for the future. And these two books paint a pretty dreary picture of the world to come, that there's all these dysgenic forces that are driving down intelligence across civilization, and that we will end up enslaved to our own creation. And in 2022, it would seem that the decline of civilization that so many people have predicted is in full swing. We are coming out of this pandemic slash plandemic that has revealed nearly all of the societal institutions, which is like uh, government, science, medicine, media, revealed nearly all of them to just be completely, totally incompetent or and or deeply malicious. We can never quite really tell if they're incompetent or if they are in fact malicious. And now in 2022, it seems that our leaders are hell-bent on getting us into another war, uh, possibly a nuclear one. A prima vista, the view from 2022 uh, would not seem encouraging. So here's why I'm optimistic about things, though, is, like I said in that concise reply to that guy on Twitter, the accelerating global entropy does not bode well for those who seek to enslave us. The, the back in 2019, back in 2018, if people can think back to those times we were on this civilizational, societal trajectory towards, uh, towards a really dark place via comfort and decadence. Back in 2018, 2019, we were uh, like society and I guess, you know, this is an English-speaking podcast, so I'm kind of talking about, like, the Western world, which is, like, here where we live, we are halfway, we're kind of halfway in between the Western world and the Eastern world. But the Western world certainly was on this path of just extreme decadence, um, where everyone was, the, the opiate of the masses was just the extreme amounts of comfort, entertainment, um, and amusement that they were, that they were fed. And this, uh, decadence and comfort is very close to the root of so many different things that were that were ailing us. And so we can look at like all the trends that were in place back then in 2018, 2019 when I talked to when I talked to JF was that we had this encroaching dystopian technocratic neoliberal fascism where we had uh, uh, you had to agree with a certain mainstream view or else you were going to get kicked off Twitter. Um, we had this uh, we, we had this encroaching biosecurity state where there was this very 
clear agenda where they wanted to make sure that everyone had a certain set of vaccinations. And if you didn't have a certain set of vaccinations, then you were going to, uh, your children were going to be excluded from school. You were going to be excluded from from an increasing uh, number of areas in in society. And then back in 2018, 2019, there was this very clear uh, demographic replacement agenda where basically whenever in history, whenever you have evil empires in history, they do this very consistent thing to hurt the people, which is you have a big evil empire, a big federal state, and what they do is they take a middle-class group of people because it's the middle-class group of people that are going to be the people that are going to challenge the people that, that are in power. Or, and because middle-class middle class people have, a, 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 have middle-class morality, typically. They have this sense of decency, a sense of honesty, a sense of hard work, and they have a, a desire for justice inherently. And this desire for justice and decency, this challenges the people, the psychopaths that end up getting themselves into the elite positions, okay? And so evil empires throughout history, what they do is they take this middle class group of people, and then what they do is they take another group of people that are ethnically different from them that are that speak a different language from them that are a different a, a different race sometimes only a slightly different race but a different kind of ethnicity from them and they move them right next to the group of middle class people and they typically take a group of people that are like poorer people that are maybe like a little bit lower IQ group of people and they move them next to this middle class group of people so that they're going to end up so that there's going to end up being this tension between the two groups of people and then nobody is going to end and then this this natural kind of human desire for uh decency and morality and justice this is going to get distracted with this ethnic tribal infighting between these two groups of people. And this is this is what happened here in Bulgaria with the Ottoman Empire um, and the gypsies that they moved here. This is the result of there is the conflict we see in Ukraine right now, which is the the ethnic Russians that the poor ethnic Russians that got moved next to the Ukrainians. That's a result of the Soviet Union. The same thing happened with uh, with Azerbaijan and Armenia, and then the and the same thing same thing is happening. Um, all over the Western world right now. It's happening right now in the United States with uh, with people from Central America um, being moved up, being moved into, you know, up into the United States. So there was this... There and was South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, that, that, the whole movement that was going on. There was this, the, back in 2018, 2019, the elites had this whole plan where we were going to have all these different climate crises. And then as a result of all these different climate crises, they were going to take millions and millions and millions of people, perhaps billions of people in Africa, and then go and move those people up into Europe. And then we would end up, we would end up 
totally losing democracy because losing any sense of any capacity of democracy and self and uh, self determination of peoples and nations because there was just so many different groups, so many different, so much tension between different groups being moved around, and then at the same time we were going to have just this encroaching technocratic fascism going on where our smartphones were just going to be uh, are, are, are going to be spying on us in every single moment and if we make a politically incorrect joke then we're not going to be allowed to uh, purchase our groceries at the grocery store this was the that we were on a clear trajectory into that sort of world and it was because of the decadence and the comfort um, that we were living in that was going to make all of that possible. It was the fact that we had, uh, it was the fact that we were so rich as a society that was going to make all of that possible. And that was also, and it was also that abundance and that comfort that people were going to experience was what was going to allow people to put up with all of the predation and all of the corruption and all the injustice that was on the road. And so the good news is that because of COVID, because of the accelerating uh, chaos that's happening now, that whole vile, evil, satanic plan is all derailed. Um, none, all that, all of that, um, all of that awfulness um, that can occur, that hellish dystopian place that our civilization was on track to end up in, is that. Is, is that's all totally disrupted now because we're not going to be so rich. We are going to, as a society, as, as people, we're going to be pushed into a little bit more of a Darwinian type of... Um, type of uh, situation and whatever what whatever the issue is that a person that a person might have that whatever the issue is that kind of boils your blood that makes you angry with the state of modernity whatever that that might be it's it's different for everyone the, those sorts of issues are are have this this decadence um, and the extreme comfort um, that society is in is pretty close to the cause of those sorts of issues. And so civilizations go through cycles. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard this uh, explained before. You've heard the expression, certainly, that strong men make good times, good times make weak men, and then weak men make bad times. And so we go through these cycles of civilization where the uh, IQ and intelligence of groups um, falls as they are getting too comfortable. And we are, it's, it's clear at this point that we are well into these bad times. However, however, there's a real reason for optimism that not only not only are we going to get through a bad time cycle and be able to see the dawning of a new age and and of a new cycle that's positive there's actually some really good signs that we are going to be breaking out of a uh 
of, of this of this downward cycle, uh, of this civilizational type cycle. Or you could even say that maybe we're going to be breaking out of, we're going to be breaking into a super cycle, which is going to be an up, and we're going to be getting into the upwards trajectory of a super cycle. And there's 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 three reasons that make me think that as opposed to just going into decline that we may be about to break into a positive super cycle and the three trends are the internet crypto and then thirdly is i'm going to say kind of like the capacity of people to move places let me explain these so first of all is the internet is we are at this unique point in history where we have actually a tool that we can use to communicate with each other to communicate peer-to-peer and to reveal the truth about things and to share truth with each other and that is something that we never had before in the past Literally, I I think throughout all of human history, almost, uh, I mean, there may be exceptions to this. I can't think of any. But in the past, the only media that existed for mass communication was state-controlled propaganda. That's how it was everywhere. I think there was, maybe there was a few decades in the United States where the television networks were not uh, controlled by the uh, intelligence agencies. But the internet is the closest that we've ever gotten to a medium where we can have actual actual where we can actually share truth with each other and we can look at like for example uh 5 years ago in the United States i think it was something like something like 10% of people didn't want to take vaccines. Ten, it was something like 10% of people were quote-unquote anti-vaxxers that were like, uh, I, I don't feel the need to take vaccines. I'm going to you know, rely on my own immune system as opposed to pharmaceutical products. And now that number is something like 50, 60% of people are quote-unquote anti-vaxxers, are people that have learned about the sordid state of uh, science and medicine, and they don't trust these things anymore. And that's because the internet, that because, that's because even with all the censorship on the internet, uh, 50, 60% of people are finding the evidence, they're finding truth. Okay, second factor is cryptocurrency. And we are uh, have this uh, this unique situation in history where we finally are achieving sound, or we're, we we have within our grasp sound global currency, sound money, real money, as opposed to fake fiat money. We have Bitcoin, which will one day be the reserve currency of the world and then we have this blooming ecosystem of all these other types of uh, cryptocurrencies that can be used for everything that you can possibly imagine and so we're getting out of this paradigm of using fiat currencies that the governments and the banks print so that they can enrich themselves while screwing all the rest of us and we're uh yeah the all the accelerating all the acceleration all the entropy entropy is another word for chaos 
all the entropy that we're seeing now is destroying these the vile fiat currencies that have been enslaving us for so long. It's destroying those, and Bitcoin is going to be the sensible replacement of that. And then third factor is, like I said, the capacity to move someplace freer. And this is something that we've never had throughout history. Throughout history, uh, typically, typically throughout history, when there was some uh, dictator that took over your country or there was a communist revolution in your country, you were just screwed. You, you just had to put up with the tyranny. Um, you, you didn't have anything really that you could do. Uh, I don't know, maybe you could try to protest a little bit. They might throw you in jail. They might kill you. There wasn't much you can do. Now we're in this unique situation where globally there's going to be these different Gults, gulches that are going to pop up. And that comes from uh, Anne Ryan's book, Atlas Shrugged, where they, where all the uh, productive people, all the intelligent people in society, they become so persecuted that they decide to leave society. And they move to this beautiful little uh, mountain gulch in Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains, where I've spent so much time. And they set up a free libertarian type of uh, capitalist, anarcho-capitalist society in this gulch. And, it, and because they have freedom, they build this, uh, this, beautiful, um, this beautiful economy of, uh, of uh, self-determination and people dealing with each other in a free way without interference from uh, the state or from bullies. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see internationally, while it seems like it seems like certain countries that were once these free, great countries are falling so far, we're going to see different other countries around the world that are going to say, hey, we want to embrace a little bit more of a libertarian free market kind of thing. We're going to have less regulation. We're going to have less taxes. And we're going to allow for productive, entrepreneurial, um, industrious, intelligent kind of people to move to our countries. And then we're just going to let them do what those kind of people do naturally. We're not going to persecute them. We're not going to tax them onerously. We're just going to allow them to be productive. And so we're going to have these mini utopias popping up around the globe. Probably not going to be in California. Probably not going to be in New York. Probably not going to be in the UK or Canada. But there's going to be these little areas. There's going to be these uh, beacons of freedom that are going to uh, that are going to start emerging. That are going to start using cryptocurrency. And it's 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 going to be pretty awesome. And so returning to that idea of cycles of civilization. Um, I personally, I feel like, uh, I feel like it's, it's better to be, it's better, it's much better to have the chance to be a strong man in bad times who can work to try to redeem civilization. That is a much better position to be in than to be a weak man that is being seduced by the, the vices and the temptations of this world who is perpetuating the bad times. I would much rather have I would much rather have those bad times and choose to be a good man in those bad times. But I should mention that phrase is actually it's not that good of a phrase. It's a it's it's a catchy phrase. Um and it has some, uh, what is it, verisimilitude. It it has uh, it smacks of truth, which is why it's useful. 
but it's uh, it's not completely accurate because strong women also make good times. And uh, I don't mean strong women in the feminist sense. I mean women that are classically feminine. Um, and weak women, which is in most cases women who are like modern, modern feminist kind of women, those kind of women also make for bad times. Um, women have just as much of an impact on the direction that society goes as men, possibly more. So it's kind of a, it's kind of an incomplete uh, phrase, but it, uh, it, it hints at something profoundly true. So yeah, those are my reasons for being optimistic about the future. I think that while it appears that we are going into a societal decline, I think there's a lot of indicators that if we all do our part, that we're going to be going into a upwards super cycle of civilization. So that was my big rant on that. Any thoughts? Oh, wow. That was more than I expected. I know. I am a perpetually pompous pontificator. <laughs> always with something to say. Question comes from Twitter again. Ah, Twitter. Yeah, from Andrea. Aha. What are your thoughts on using placenta injections and risks associated with contamination from COVID vaccine? There is supposedly some benefit for perimenopausal women. Studies indicate that it minimizes associated symptoms in addition to anti-aging benefits. Biohacking goals are neuroprotective, neuroregeneration, anti-aging. Some evidence indicates improvement, reduction of menopausal symptoms with placental injections. Most placental products are manufactured in Japan and Korea. Hey, Andrea. So, you said here about contamination from the COVID vaccine, and I could not find anything on uh, stem cell injections being contaminated with uh, with whatever the hell is in the COVID vaccine. However, I think her reasoning here might be that if you're getting stem cells from a placenta, then if the mother was vaccinated, then there would likely be uh, spike protein from the uh, vaccine in the placenta itself. If the if the if the vaccination didn't prevent pregnancy in the first place, and so I guess you would have to. Uh, there's if you look at like whoever is um, whoever is offering placenta stem cell injections, I would doubt that they are. I would doubt that they are taking that quality control step where they're double checking that the uh, mothers that they got the placentas from were not vaccinated. I mean, in fact, I think there, there's probably some sort of non-discrimination law that would prevent them from even doing that. So you're kind of, you're, you're taking a slight risk, I suppose, that you might get the, uh, yeah, the uh, mRNA uh, spike 
protein from a COVID vaccine, although it seems like the, the risk would be about the same as just like normal interaction with other human beings as far as that. However, uh, looking at the rest of her comments here where she's saying um, some benefit for para perimenopausal women and that uh, she has the general biohacking goals, which are uh, neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-aging, and then improvement of the menopausal symptoms. I think you're, she's kind of jumping to the most drastic and probably expensive solution. Remember how I was talking with you, babe, about how when we have a biohacking problem, we want to go for the the low-hanging fruit solutions first. Yes, yes I remember. We, we want to go for the inexpensive, low-risk solutions first, and then move on to like the, the really dramatic type things. And so if you're looking to assuage menopausal symptoms, uh, you would want to look at actually something like horny goatweed. And horny goatweed has two chemicals in it, which is icaritin and desmethyl icaritin. And these work a little bit differently in women, and they actually modulate the female hormones. So you'd want to look at, there's a range of different supplements that positively modulate uh, female hormones, making uh, menopause or peri or staving off uh, menopause if you are perimenopausal, which is things like um, the uh, pregnenolone. Pregnenolone will uh, feed your body uh, what it needs to either produce uh, testosterone or estrogen, depending upon what your body needs. You could take, uh, what was that other stuff that you dislike, babe? DHM? The D-I-M. D-I-M, that's right. Yes, 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 D-I-M. Let me write that one down, which it had kind of a negative effect on you uh, when you tried it, but... Yeah, I it, had major stomach aches. But it's uh, it's generally regarded as something that modulates hormones. Ash, Ash, yeah, I was, you know, allergic. Ashwagandha was actually recommended by a woman who is a prominent naturopathic physician. She recommended ashwagandha in combination with, uh, with uh, Panax ginseng, Eleuthero, and rhodiola for perimenopausal women with, uh, with the typical symptoms of uh, stress, insomnia, anxiety, emotional disturbance. She said that, that taking some adaptogenic herbs you would expect to see results in a week or two. And then I would mention also uh, xenolutin, which is the peptide. Xenolutin. That's right, xenolutin, which is those biopeptides. And these are peptides that actually work on the epige epigenome themselves. They have epigenetic mechanisms themselves that are supposed to assuage and have kind of anti-aging type effects. So yeah, I would say to Andrea, I think she's jumping the gun a little bit by by saying like let's let's do stem cell injections when there's a lot of other things that can be done for anti-aging neuroprotection and um yeah, and there's no risk that you might be using a placenta that has a uh, COVID vaccine fragments um, involved with it. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. Next 
question comes from Derek. So I recently saw on the podcast to have that you take a nicotine USB solution. That's right, Jonathan doesn't smoke. I bought one off Metal Lab a few months ago and haven't been able to find anything online about how to dose it. I read on a Reddit thread that taking it orally can be caustic to your gut and throat, but I haven't been able to confirm this. I emailed Metal Lab to get their take, but haven't heard shit back. Wondering if you have some insight on this. Thanks. Yeah, Mito Lab. <laughs> they don't have the best customer service. Mito Lab, sorry, not Mito Lab. Oh, it's uh, it's okay. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> so, so I was not able to find these Reddit threads. As far as the nicotine USP solution, so you want to start at a very low dosage. Nicotine in USP solution, even if it's only like 5%, it is potent stuff and it is going to have a nootropic effect on you and then you're going to build a tolerance to it. So yeah, start with a very low dosage where you're taking like one or two little droplets of the nicotine solution um, and doing that once a day or maybe twice a day. And you'll find that your tolerance builds up naturally and that you uh, increase your dosage over time, which is why it's important to take breaks off of it. I have currently been off nicotine for what has been about two months now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I'm taking about two, I'm taking a couple months off at the moment because I want my tolerance to go all the way, all the way down. You need to uh, anticipate, yeah, maybe use it for two months, maybe three months, and then take about equal amount of time off of it. I have been using nicotine in USP solution for quite a while now. And as far as your concerns about it being caustic to the gut and throat, uh, possibly. Nicotine is a, uh, is a poison, but of course the dose makes the poison. If you're doing way too much of it, then you're going to have kind of an unpleasant experience. You're going to have some gut upset. You may have a bit of burning in your throat, but I can report back after using it for probably five years now, perhaps more than five years doing cycles of it on and off. I will occasionally get a little bit of an upset stomach directly after taking it, which is my indication that I've done too much, but I've never had any uh, cumulative issues from it. Like if the nicotine was caustic and was causing me a throat issue, or a, um, I would anticipate getting having a sore throat, I would anticipate... Um, having something the matter with my throat, having something the matter with my, uh, with my mouth. I would anticipate getting, uh, getting like some boils in my mouth or something like that. Or I'd have, I'd, I'd have something weird go on with my, with my mouth. If it was having a caustic effect on my mouth, or if it was, if it was having a caustic effect on my gut, I would end up having some, uh, I would end up having like like upset stomach really frequently around the time that I was using the nicotine. And I have I can report back after using it for uh, probably about half a decade now and sometimes using it in higher dosages. 
The only issue I ever have is a little bit of an upset stomach directly after using it, which is typically assuaged by drinking a bit of coffee. And then that's my sign to myself that I've that I've used too much of it. Next question, babe. Comes from David. I was looking to get your take on my current nootropic slash supplement stack. I also take 10 milligrams of methylene blue, better than anything else, magnesium threonate, vitamin C and D, berberine, resveratrol, NMN, and I plan on taking some of the ones you suggested. Let me know your thoughts. Okay, so that's that's a pretty good stack. He's taken NMN and resveratrol. Yeah, and he's asked you, what do you think of MindLab Pro? Yep. So as far as his stack, if you want to take that to the next level, I would maybe add pterostilbin. And pterostilbin is one third of what I term the epigenetic awesomeness protocol, which is that with NMN, uh, it has this amazing effect on the epigenome. It empowers the epigenome to uh, regulate our health and body as it should, but it needs uh, some cofactors. And resveratrol is one of those. But if you want to get that, the NMN is not cheap. So you uh, want to like really empower it to do its thing. So I would just add pterostilbin on top of that and then cycle the pterostilbin with the resveratrol. And some people report that pterostilbin has a bit more of a nootropic effect. So you'll have to experiment with that. But other than that, uh, yeah, this uh, stack looks quite solid. He asked about MindLab Pro, which is a nootropic stack, and it's kind of a generic nootropic stack. It has, uh, I think it has uh, uh, some choline precursors. It's got uh, tyrosine, might have hooperzine, some things like this. It's, it's a quite generic nootropic stack, and I think it's actually a bit overpriced for what it contains. So given the other, you, you have a, an anti-aging side to your supplementation regimen, which is the, uh, the NMN resveratrol methylene blue, that stuff. If you want to add a nootropic component on top of, on top of that, I would recommend the racetams, which are, which are the real potent smart drugs. I would recommend those, but whereas the, the, the MindLab Pro, what, what you should do is probably, is probably do some experimentation, some self-quantification of using some individual smart drugs at different kinds of dosages because he's already using some of these anti-aging things. Um, so it would be good to add some individual things and see how they affect the overall stack. So yeah, you could try something like phenylparacetam, or you could even you could even try adding in a little bit of nicotine and seeing how that um, how that works how that works out. And then he mentions a skincare product, which is this stuff called Blue Lean. And I checked this out, babe. And this is a methylene blue beauty product. So I know like we're pretty beautiful already, <laughs> pretty good looking already. 
you know, we don't want to make the neighbors too jealous when we're out there walking, walking the dog. But uh, yeah, there's a company, they have this product called Blue Lean. I, I want to try their stuff. I'm going to try to reach out to them and get a COA from them. But my thought is that if you're already using, if you've already got Methylene Blue, you could probably make your own Methylene Blue solution. This might be something that you could DIY, is just get uh, their anti-aging solution looked uh, kind of pricey. It was like 40 bucks. So you could probably get some some a good skin uh, moisturizer or defoliator and then just add a little bit of methylene blue to it. And then you'd basically be getting the same effect. I should also add though, again, you, you wanna do the low hanging fruit first before you buy some fancy product. So as far as like skin and keeping your skin looking, you know, youthful and clear and vibrant, there's there's a lot of low-hanging things that you can do, first of all, which is, uh, for example, eat coconuts. I have been eating coconuts for well over a decade now, and I'm going to do a article at some point where I do a bunch of pictures of myself now versus myself when I was... Uh, 27 years old because my uh, birthday is now 10 days. Oh, hey, maybe I should do that article for my birthday. Is do me now versus me 10 years ago, right? No, that's a good idea, John. And people will see that I look uh, better now and I look about the same age. I, I don't look like I've aged hardly at all. And a lot of that has to do with uh, eating a diet with a lot of coconuts in it because coconuts are really good for your skin. And then on top of that, there's some other, like uh, there's some other things that are really well proven in the skincare department, which is uh, like collagen. I think, I think collagen is probably actually my go-to as far as the vanity biohacks. As far as like, if you want like a supplement that's good, that's relatively affordable, uh, where there's no risks involved with it, and where you know that it's going to be effective in actually making you a, a better looking biohacker, that would probably be using uh, collagen supplementation. And then if you wanted to take that to the next level, you would want to do uh, red light therapy. Uh, red light therapy, if you spend, if you get a red light therapy device or lamp, and then you, uh, you, you shoot it on your face for, uh, I don't know, give your face like 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. That's going to improve the collagen synthesis in your face. But I like the idea of using a red light as a beautification hack because uh, I have a red light and I don't need to buy red light. I don't need to buy a supplement every month. It's I can just use my same red light. It doesn't cost me anything, anything extra. So... I think I'll actually link to uh, some supplements in, oh geez, this is the thing I forgot to say at the outset of the podcast, which is that everything mentioned here, I'm going to link to in the article. All the, everything I reference, every product, you can find that in the article. So I'll link to uh, red light devices. I would probably re, I would probably go with red light therapy and collagen supplement before I paid for some fancy methylene blue uh, skin moisturizer. Okay, babe, next question. Next question comes from Ted 
underscore D. On responding to hangovers, cure coconuts. How to open a coconut like a boss. Like a boss. Mm -hmm. So, good video. But why waste the coconut milk via the smashing method? And why not talk about the MCTs that lead to ketone production in the body? At least via coconut oil. I assume that eating it raw works as well, with benefits to the heart, brain, focus, etc. Related question, do you think that MCT oil helps with hangovers? Seems that it should, it should to some degree, but I don't think I've yet heard it claimed, so I don't know. Okay, so first of all, he should know this video he commented on. It's a funny video, but it's an ancient video. So I, at the time, I did not know about all the ketone production goodness of uh, the MCTs in the coconut. And no, I did not waste the uh, coconut water. What I, what I do with the coconut, I I've got some other videos where I explain my methodology with the coconuts is I always drink the water first before I smash it. Cause yeah, otherwise it's, Otherwise, you're you're wasting some great coconut water in there. I I take my keys. Okay, on the top of each coconut, there's three eyes. There's three uh, potential soft spots, and so you take your keys and you jab your keys in those three eyes, and one of them will be soft, and then you stick a uh, straw in there and then you drink the water and then throw it on the ground in the plastic bag as I showed there. As far as MCT oil helping with hangovers, I, I don't actually know about that. I've done a lot of looking into the different supplements and biohacks that will prevent hangovers. And MCT, boy, MCT is so helpful for almost everything. It probably does something to uh, fight hangovers. But I would recommend things like uh, glutathione, dehydromyricetin, activated charcoal. These are the sort of things where there's real solid evidence. Um, and heck, go go get drunk. Go get drunk and then take some glutathione. And you'll notice that it makes a pretty, pretty big difference in the hangover. Or something like DHM, dehydromyricetin, which I talk about in my article, Hacking a Hangover. Uh, that'll make a pretty big difference. I think MCT oil is probably not going to do that much for you. If you are a boozing biohacker balling on a budget and you can't afford fancy uh, glutathione, just turn to activated charcoal, which is really cheap. You can buy it at practically any pharmacy. And it does a pretty decent job actually at uh, cleaning up the toxins from alcohol. So, let's move on to our final question, babe. Yeah, it comes from Reddit. Are all women like this? I take care of all the chores around the house, all the dishes, recycling, trash, the copious amounts of cardboard that come in a deluge every single day. I put away all the groceries, etc. My wife will go out, spend a bunch of money, come home and put everything on the kitchen counter and leave it there for weeks or until I get sick and tired of looking at it and then I go put it all away. I straighten the house, pick up after our kid, straighten and clean up after my wife. It's fucking ridiculous. 
This has been going on for three years and she hasn't made the slightest effort to help or to change in any way. Additionally, I'm building the basement out and finishing it all, all by myself and taking care of the yard and the property, not a small feat as it's 10 acres. When do I get a fucking break or some help or some fucking appreciation? I'm exhausted and at, at my wit's end. I cannot stand laziness or slobs that can't clean up after themselves like a functional adult. Can anyone relate? Also, we have additional details. My other issue is that she doesn't have any friends or hobbies. Something to get her up and out of the house, off the couch and just out doing something. But sitting on the couch all day on your phone or watching TV and eating junk food is insanely unhealthy. I haven't seen her smile in a year and she looks miserable constantly. I love my wife, don't get me wrong, but I feel trapped, taken advantage of and the whole thing is extremely depressing. And we should also add that his wife is currently pregnant with their second child. Okay, so this sounds like a marriage that is not going, going well yeah. at all. <laughs> and to answer the question on Reddit, no. Not all women are like that. I'm not. Hello. <laughs> this guy's wife is like that. And, okay, I, so I'm going to give this guy uh, what I think may work to actually improve the situation here. However, of course, I don't know his, I don't know their situation. I don't know her side of the story. If we talked with her, if we sat down with the two of them, we'd hear, you know, some things about him, right? So I'm going to make a couple of generalizations, and then I'm going to give this guy or anyone in a similar situation, any other man in a similar situation, a, uh, a tool for possibly turning things around when the marriage is going in this sort of direction. So first point is that if you're, if you're a provider male, you're going to have provider male problems, which is why in my book, Don't Stick Your Dick in a Blender, How to Meet a Nice Girl Instead from a tantric husband with a better sex life than you. That's why in this, in my book, I break down uh, on a strategic level and then on a practical level, how to be a lover male instead and how to how to set yourself up as a lover male from the inception of the relationship and then how to over time slowly um, make that transition into being a bit of a provider male at this point I'm a bit of a provider male but I Initially, I was firmly in the lover male camp, and it sets you up with having, with with uh, you're you're not going to have these sorts of problems where uh, where she is not contributing in a uh, meaningful way to the household if you are not a provider male from the inception of the relationship. So from that's why for single men, for single men, I urge them. 
to really understand the lover-provider dynamic and figure out how to make sure that they are starting their relationships in that lover-type frame so that they can get a bit of respect as the relationship goes goes on. Um, however, that's not helpful to this guy because this guy is married to this woman and um, it doesn't sound like he's ready to divorce her. It doesn't sound like he's ready to move on. And I think that there's, even for men who have screwed up, um, who have let things get this bad in their relationship, there's a bit of hope of turning things around. And I have an article where I break down my methodology for this. And the article is entitled, How to Stay Loyal to Your Woman. Six Steps to Resilient Sexual Spiritual Risk Mitigation. And that may not sound like it has a whole lot to do with this guy complaining about his wife not uh, contributing enough around the household. But in this article, I explain how what happens in relationships is sometimes you end up uh, in, in a situation in the relationship where one party is not giving the other party what they need. Um, there's needs, there's needs that are going unmet in the relationship. Um, and there's and and it's causing resentment it's cause it's causing resentment and that resent and what typically happens is there's a need that's unmet in the relationship and this causes resentment and then this resentment uh manifests as the other party not getting some need that they have want and then there's so you you have this uh this cycle, this vicious cycle of resentment that you get into and then and things just tend to get worse and worse and worse. And then you end up, we end up having a divorce or um, yeah, or people get into depression. Um, yeah, it's not good. So the way to break out of these cycles of resentment and the way to inspire a behavioral change in your partner, is with what I call in the article, I, I call it a strategic, uh, a strategic concession, which is that you go to your partner, your wife, your woman, and you say, I'm going to give something up. I'm going to give something up. And I'm also at the same time of giving something up myself, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a, a special gift that I have not yet given to you. And it's going to make you feel really amazing. And I'm going to do this. Uh, I, I'm going to do this because I think it's the right thing to do. And uh, you deserve it. And, uh, and I love you. And so... What I recommend in the article was, again, the title of the article is How to Stay Loyal to Your Woman, Six Steps to Resilient Sexual Spiritual Risk Mitigation. And so what I propose in the article is a radical idea, or to most men, to most men, this is going to sound like a radical idea, which is that you 
have as a man, if you're a married man or if you're a man in a serious relationship, you have only one sexual object in your universe. You have only one woman in the whole world, in your whole life, in your in, in your universe that is a sexual creature that you think about in a sexual way, that you fantasize about, that you visualize about, that you satisfy yourself sexually too. So what I, what I suggest in the article, and this is a major shift for many men, this may be something, this is probably something that most men are going to say, that's impossible. No way I could do that. That's, um, that's, that's, that's romantic, wishful thinking. But it really is possible. It really is possible. Is you, may, is you take a shift in your mindset where you, uh, you no longer watch porn, you no longer uh, look at uh, uh, women on Instagram showing off their bodies, you no longer oogle women uh, in the streets or at the gym. Um, or at the beach. Or, yeah, yeah, at the beach. Although here in our beaches, we always have, you know, it's, it's not so difficult here at the, the beaches in, in Bulgaria where it's uh, old, old chubbies, <laughs> old chubbies on the beach. Remember the ones that I had to censor from my, my video? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe guys will get a laugh out of this. I made a video at the beach and some very, some rather large, uh, uh, women appeared in the background of the video and I, I, I had to blur it. I had to blur it for, for the guys out there. So <laughs> my point is it is possible to make this shift where your woman your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, she is the only one that you fantasize about. And you don't, uh, you don't fantasize about or visualize other, other women. You satisfy yourself sexually only with her. It sounds crazy. It sounds maybe old fashioned, but it really is possible. And it really is very empowering. And then the other important part of this, the important part of making this kind of shift around your sexuality and around your relationship is that you remind her of this daily. Every single day you sit down with her and you remind her that she is the only sexual object in your universe, that you're, um, you're satisfied with her, that you're not looking at any, at anyone else. You're not thinking about anyone else. Or you at least remind her that, that you are doing your damnedest. You're doing your best to make her the only sexual object in the universe to you. And that she's enough for you, that you're satisfied with her, that you are excited to explore and conquer her body anew every time that you can. And you remind her of this. And if your woman is, I, I, I would contend wouldn't you say, babe, wouldn't you say this method, it's probably going to work on all women or most women, like most women that are heterosexual women that are in a relationship, in monogamous relationships, in monogamous relationships they're probably really going to like this, totally. right? Right. Totally. And so what this does is uh, for women, typically, typically women's emotional needs are more important than their pragmatic needs to them. Um, feelings are a little bit more important to women typically than things out here in the concrete, tangible world. So what you're doing with this is you are satisfying her emotional needs in a really powerful way. 
And this is what I call, I call it a strategic concession, although there's actually a lot of different things you can call it. What this does is once you start giving her this tremendous gift, it allows you to ask her to start changing her behavior a bit around some things. So he, he kind of just describes her generally as being uh, slovenly. In fact, he describes his wife as being a blowsy. Remember that word I taught you, blowsy? Blowsy. This is people's vocabulary item of the word is an untidy woman. A blowsy. Slovenly. Or I, I find blowsy to be a funny word. So that's the word we're going to teach people today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, if you got it, if, if your woman's a blowsy, then she's not going to change her behavior probably by you uh, sitting down and saying, Look, babe, I, I do so much. I'm, I'm going to the office every day. I'm working my ass off. I'm so stressed out. You know, I just want to come home to a clean house. Is that so much of me to ask for? That's, that's not going to work. What's going to work is, um, is satisfying her emotional needs in a powerful way and then extracting a strategic concession of her changing her behavior a bit. Try that. I think that'll work for him. What do you think, babe? I'm not sure. We don't know his situation in this regard. Yeah. We don't know how she feels about this. Because some women are brainwashed, you know, to think that even only thanks is normal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, okay. I, um, I think in my article about this, I do not, I don't quite advocate. I don't quite advocate like saying like, uh, saying like, sitting down with your woman and saying, uh, saying, um, I, I've come to the realization that pornography is, uh, is destroying me. It's destroying civilization. Uh, I think that we should be against this, this evil thing. Um, and that we should, so, so that's the reason why I'm only going to think about you from now on. No, <laughs> I, I don't no, quite no. recommend doing it that way. That's not, a, that's not the idea either. Yeah. I recommend that guys, uh, sit down with their woman and say, Hey, I want to give you a special gift. Um, and don't start by making any demands. Don't start by making any demands, but just sit down and say, you know, Hey, I, I think I heard this intimacy thing where I do my best to not fantasize about anyone else, uh, ever. Um, and then I remind you of it and it's supposed to be an intimacy exercise. And I think we should at least do, let's at least do a trial with it. And then, and then do a trial of trying to do it for, uh, trying to do it for a week. And then a lot of women, John, would say, I thought that was the deal when we got married. That you stopped having eyes for anyone else but your wife. And that it was a given. What has changed? Or have I gotten into this marriage with a wrong perception of you? Of you? And in the article, I explain how to address that question. Because some it depends. Some women are going to have that response. Some women are going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Like it kind of, it depends. It depends on like some women are really naive on this and some women are kind of cynical on it. So it, it depends. We don't know where his woman falls on that particular spectrum. Yeah, yeah, we don't. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I think that is all six questions today. So, it was, as always, a pleasure to do a 
Q&A podcast with you. Oh, likewise, John. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.